the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history. The ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The Pilgrims, the Puritans, the Founding Fathers, and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we could not know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight, the entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Good evening, everyone. It's that hour again to gather around the Bible, and I want to encourage you to get yourself a Bible Live notebook. You don't need to make it anything particularly fancy or expensive. Find yourself one of these spiral notebooks. Usually I get about six months' use out of one of those five-subject notebooks. I put the date, the reading, and then I just keep my little notes. Now, you may not keep as many notes as I do. Maybe you just keep half a page and you can do two readings per page. But the idea is to keep a little journal of your trip through the Scriptures each and every year. And you don't have to make a big, complicated, difficult-to-sustain Bible study out of it necessarily. We're not doing an in-depth study of the in-depth meaning of the fifth level here. We're just listening to the scriptures and let them speak to our heart. More of a devotional experience than it is an intellectual or academic purpose that we have. Although I will tell you this, you will learn your Bible as you listen and read through the scriptures each year. You begin to see our world as God sees it, the different dynamics of our world. Honestly, it's such a wonderful blessing to see things as they really are. This is God as he really is, dealing with people as we really are, and the world as it really is. This is what makes it so instructive and helpful to us. Well, tonight we're going to continue through the book of 1 Samuel. That's where we are right now in the Hebrew Scriptures. We just began last night. We saw the birth of Samuel. We saw Eli to his death. 
Now we'll pick up with Samuel as he continues forward. But right now, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, Psalm 54 on the Bible Live. Psalm 54. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with all your might. O God, listen to my prayer. Pay attention to my plea. For strangers are attacking me. Violent men are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. But God is my helper. The Lord is the one who keeps me alive. May my enemies' plans for evil be turned against them. Do as you promised and put an end to them. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For you will rescue me from my troubles and help me to triumph over my enemies. End of reading, Psalm 54. Sing your praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody, stand up and sing one more. Hallelujah, sing your praise to the Lord. I could never tell you just how much good that it's going to do you. Song your heart learned to sing when he forgave his life to you. But it goes on and so much the song you gotta sing again. You're listening to the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Praise to the Lord. That's right, let's sing our praise to the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. And besides that, our welfare, our well-being as people, those of us who know and follow by faith the God of Scripture, our well-being is caught up in our vision of who He is. So if you have a tiny, poor, weak, limited vision of God, you're going to have a tiny, little, poor, little, weak, limited experience in your life. You're limiting your own experience because your very life is caught up in who He is. J.B. Phillips wrote a book, probably out of print now, but the title of the book alone was worth the price of it. Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. So many times of our life, our view and our vision of God is so weak and so poor and so limited that it just does us no good. We're not willing to trust God. We're not willing to obey Him. We're not willing to take risks based on who He is because our understanding of who He is is so limited. That being said, let's turn to the book of First Samuel, and that may be part of the problem of these three men that we're going to be watching all through the book of First Samuel. The people of Israel have lost the Ark of the Covenant. Let's see how they recapture it. First Samuel 5, 6 through 10, 16, followed by Psalm 54. First Samuel 5. Then the Lord began to afflict the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, We can't keep the ark of the God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. We will all be destroyed along with our God, Dagon. So they called together the rulers of the five Philistine cities and asked, What should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? The rulers discussed it and replied, Move it to the city of Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel to Gath. But when the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord began afflicting its people, young and old, with a plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. So they sent the ark of God to the city of Ekron. But when the people of Ekron saw it coming, they cried out, They are bringing the ark of the God of Israel here to kill us too. So the people summoned the rulers again and begged them, Please send the ark of the God of Israel back to its own country, or it will kill us all. For the plague from God had already begun, and great fear was sweeping across the city. Those who didn't die were afflicted with tumors, and there was weeping everywhere. First Samuel 6 
The ark of the Lord remained in Philistine territory seven months in all. Then the Philistines called in their priests and diviners and asked them, What should we do about the ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its own land. Send the ark of the God of Israel back, along with a gift, they were told. Send a guilt offering so the plague will stop. Then if the plague doesn't stop, you will know that God didn't send the plague after all. What sort of guilt offering should we send, they asked. And they were told, Since the plague has struck both you and your five rulers, make five gold tumors and five gold rats, just like those that have ravaged your land. Make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. Perhaps then he will stop afflicting you, your gods, and your land. Don't be stubborn and rebellious as Pharaoh and the Egyptians were. They wouldn't let Israel go until God had ravaged them with dreadful plagues. Now build a new cart and find two cows that have just had calves. Make sure the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, but shut their calves away from them in a pen. Put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and beside it place a chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shemesh, we will know it was the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we will know that the plague was simply a coincidence and was not sent by the Lord at all. So these instructions were carried out. Two cows with newborn calves were hitched to the cart, and their calves were shut up in a pen. Then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors were placed on the cart. And sure enough, the cows went straight along the road toward Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. The Philistine rulers followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley, and when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The cart came into the field of a man named Joshua and stopped beside a large rock. So the people broke up the wood of the cart for a fire and killed the cows and sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tribe of Levi lifted the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors from the cart and placed them on the large rock. Many burnt offerings and sacrifices were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Beth Shemesh. The five Philistine rulers watched all this and then returned to Ekron that same day. The five gold tumors that were sent by the Philistines as a guilt offering to the Lord were gifts from the rulers of Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The five gold rats represented the five Philistine cities and their surrounding villages, which were controlled by the five rulers. The large rock at Beth Shemesh, where they set the ark of the Lord, still stands in the field of Joshua as a reminder of what happened there. But the Lord killed seventy men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord, and the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God, they cried out? Where can we send the ark from here? So they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim and told them, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Please come here and get it. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. First Samuel 7 So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eleazar his son to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, twenty years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned, because it seemed that the Lord had abandoned them. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you are really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. 
determined to obey only the Lord. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites destroyed their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, Come to Mizpah, all of you. I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered there and in a great ceremony drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. So it was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. When the Philistine rulers heard that all Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Plead with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived for battle. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshanah. He named it Ebenezer, the stone of help. For he said, Up to this point the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for a long time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. The Israelite towns near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel, along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was also peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days. Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Each year he traveled around, setting up his court first at Bethel, then at Gilgal, and then at Mizpah. He judged the people of Israel at each of these places. Then he would return to his home at Ramah, and he would hear cases there, too. And Samuel built an altar to the Lord at Ramah. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 8 As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, the leaders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king like all the other nations have. Samuel was very upset with their request and went to the Lord for advice. Do as they say, the Lord replied, for it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually forsaken me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about how a king will treat them. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people. This is how a king will treat you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons into his army and make them run before his chariots. Some will be commanders of his troops, while others will be slave laborers. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops, while others will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own servants. He will take a tenth of your harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will want your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks, and you will be his slaves. 
When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will govern us and lead us into battle. So Samuel told the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, Do as they say, and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 9 Kish was a rich, influential man from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abiel and grandson of Zeror, from the family of Becheroth and the clan of Aphia. His son, Saul, was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. One day Kish's donkey strayed away, and he told Saul, Take a servant with you and go look for them. So Saul took one of his servants and traveled all through the hill country of Ephraim, the land of Shalishah, the Shalim area, and the entire land of Benjamin, but they couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. Finally they entered the region of Zuf, and Saul said to his servant, Let's go home. By now my father will be more worried about us than about the donkeys. But the servant said, I've just thought of something. There is a man of God who lives here in this town. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. But we don't have anything to offer him, Saul replied. Even our food is gone, and we don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, I have one small piece of silver. We can at least offer it to him and see what happens. In those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, Let's go and ask the seer, for prophets used to be called seers. All right, Saul agreed, let's try it. So they started into the town where the man of God was. As they were climbing a hill toward the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. So Saul and his servant asked, Is the seer here today? Yes, they replied, stay right on this road. He is at the town gates. He has just arrived to take part in a public sacrifice up on the hill. Hurry and catch him before he goes up the hill to eat. The guests won't start until he arrives to bless the food. So they entered the town, and as they passed through the gates, Samuel was coming out toward them to climb the hill. Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel noticed Saul, the Lord said, That's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, Can you please tell me where this seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go on up the hill ahead of me to the place of sacrifice, and we'll eat there together. In the morning I will tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. And don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found. And I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. Saul replied, But I am only from Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the great hall and placed them at the head of the table, honoring them above the thirty special guests. Samuel then instructed the cook to bring Saul the finest cut of meat, the piece that had been set aside for the guest of honor. So the cook brought it in and placed it before Saul. Go ahead and eat it, Samuel said. I was saving it for you even before I invited these others. So Saul ate with Samuel. After the feast, when they had returned to the town, 
Samuel took Saul up to the roof of the house and prepared a bed for him there. At daybreak the next morning, Samuel called up to Saul, Get up! It's time you were on your way. So Saul got ready, and he and Samuel left the house together. When they reached the edge of town, Samuel told Saul to send his servant on ahead. After the servant was gone, Samuel said, Stay here, for I have received a special message for you from God. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. First Samuel 10 Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul on the cheek and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the leader of his people, Israel. When you leave me today, you will see two men beside Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father is worried about you and is asking, Have you seen my son? When you get to the oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming toward you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will be bringing three young goats, another will have three loaves of bread, and the third will be carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two of the loaves, which you are to accept. When you arrive at Gebeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the altar on the hill. They will be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, and they will be prophesying. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you with power, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do whatever you think is best, for God will be with you. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me, and wait for me there seven days. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. When I arrive, I will give you further instructions. As Saul turned and started to leave, God changed his heart, and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw the prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. When his friends heard about it, they exclaimed, What? Is Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? But one of the neighbors responded, It doesn't matter who his father is, anyone can become a prophet. So that is the origin of the saying, Is Saul a prophet? When Saul had finished prophesying, he climbed the hill to the altar. Where in the world have you been? Saul's uncle asked him. We went to look for the donkeys, Saul replied, but we couldn't find them. So we went to the prophet Samuel to ask him where they were. Oh, and what did he say? His uncle asked. He said the donkeys had been found, Saul replied, but Saul didn't tell his uncle that Samuel had anointed him to be king. End of reading, 1 Samuel 5, 6 through 10, 16. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Now begin another era in the life of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have been tracing the lives of these three individuals. Eli is the priest, Samuel's parents. Elkanah and Hannah first met Eli when they went to sacrifice at the tabernacle. We're technically still in the time of the judges because Samuel is the last of the judges and he's a transition character from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. 
the time of the judges was a theocracy where they would look to God for their leadership and that God would raise up judges or heroes that would deliver them in times of need. Now we're moving to the time of the kings, as you see the people demanding a king. Samuel, who is the last of the judges and the first of the prophets, he could be seen that way. Eli was the priest at Shiloh. There were a number of cities that serve as the religious and political centers or capital cities of Israel. During the period of the judges, Israel may have had more than one capital, possibly because of the competition and conflict between the different tribes. We hear about Gilgal, one time considered the center of worship and the political center of the nation. Shiloh, that is where Eli headquartered. Then we have Shechem and Ramah, Mizpah, Bethel, Gibeah, Gibeon. Then finally, we'll see under the reign of King David, Jerusalem becomes the capital city of Israel. Eli began well, serving God faithfully, but over the years he lost his edge. He began to be caught up more in the process the religious relics, the religious symbols that he did with God himself in a relationship with God himself. So very easy to do. Eli's family life declined. And finally, the ultimate expression of what he had become spiritually is that he allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be sent out more or less like a rabbit's foot as a superstitious symbol. We just send the Ark out and that'll give us victory over our enemies. That's how they lost the Ark of the Covenant. It was captured in that battle to Israel's great shame and to great scandal. It came to be in Philistine hands. Now we're watching these three men, Eli and now Samuel and then Saul. Each one begins with great promise, great potential. Samuel, as you know, was presented to God as a child. And God used him greatly throughout his life. He fulfilled many different roles. Samuel does. He's a judge, a deliverer, and notice he leads the attempt to free Israel from oppression by the Philistines, but he's also a priest. He leads them in spiritual renewal, a prophet, the counselor. He is God's man at this turning point in the history of Israel. God worked through Samuel because Samuel was willing to be a faithful servant. He was genuinely, sincerely dedicated to God and trusted in God. Tonight in our reading, the emphasis is there on Samuel as he delivers them from the Philistines. When Samuel now is going to retire, the people require a king. And notice he warns them, the same warning that Moses had given about a king. They will draft your young men into the army. He'll take your men from your homes and have them run before your chariots. And so he's going to build this huge governmental bureaucracy. He's going to build a dependent class of people. He's going to make slave laborers. This is exactly what government does. Steals property from the people. There's corruption. He uses his position for personal gain. And then there's unjust, debilitating taxation on the people. All of these things we see then and we see today. God might as well warn us of government as well. There is so much we can learn from watching these men. I think that warning list that Samuel gave to the people about a king and about a strong government, the things that will happen, that is such a clear message for us today. There in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel warns against becoming dependent on the government, in their case, the king. Well, first impressions can be deceiving as well, especially when the image created by a person's appearance or his speech is contradicted by their character, the qualities and abilities. Saul presented an ideal visual image of a king. He was tall and handsome and spoke well. He seemed to be humble and good. He was God's chosen leader, but this did not mean he was capable of being a king on his own without God. See you next time. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar 
Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndall Hoff Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.